Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. What if we had a path that could assist us with developing meaning, a greater personal depth, a better order to and clarity of our often complex and challenging lives? What if this path wove together both psychological and spiritual principles into an accessible model with processes that move us through our ambiguous, complex experiences and into a more integrated, holistic, and clarified self-transformation? Well, my guest today, Shai Tubali, is here to share with us his transformative perspective and his techniques of meditation and the pathways to transcendent states of consciousness he's developed for this type of journey. Welcome to Behavior Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. Shai is an academic philosopher, speaker, and leading author in the field of self-development and self-empowerment. Shai is also a best-selling author of numerous books inspiring many thousands on their inner journey of mental, emotional, and spiritual transformation. Shai's active vision is a spirituality that does not lead away from the world, but rather straight into the heart of life. A trained yogi with 25 years of Studying in the field of Eastern thought and yogic traditions, Shai has become one of Europe's experts in the ancient chakra system. Shai has created a significant list of methods that mix meditation, therapy, and self-empowerment into highly effective integral processes. Shai, welcome to our show. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you so much, Graham. It's a great joy being here with you today. It's Now, I understand you are, you're in Portugal currently, is that right? Today? Right, in Portugal. Lovely, lovely Portugal. Yes. Lovely Portugal. (laughs) Well, it's nice to have you here. I appreciate you being on the show. Shai, as we get started today, give our listeners just a brief background, understanding of your journey that's led you into this field. Well, at the very beginning, uh, early in my life, I started as an author and a journalist. And I think I had some kind of a promising career in these fields. But then I began to feel this this kind of longing to realize who I really am, to realize my true nature, and, and I began to ask questions. This was somewhere at the age of 21. At the beginning, I, I tried to find these answers in the academic world. I embarked on academic philosophy journey, but soon after, I came to realize in a painful way that uh, academics don't Well, they don't possess wisdom, they possess knowledge, and these are two different things. So I moved to search for these answers in the spiritual world. So this is where I began to seek very deeply, very intensely, and I visited ashrams in India and met spiritual teachers. And at the age of 23, a certain revelation of cosmic consciousness and no self-state convinced me that this was the right way to progress in my journey. So ever since I would say that that my life has been dedicated to researching human consciousness and its potential, asking what it is to be human and what are higher states of consciousness and what they can do for us, how they can affect our life. In, in direct and practical ways. Really so cool. I do this objectively as an academic philosopher and subjectively as a meditation practitioner. 
Really good. So this idea of seeking wisdom, this pursuing a revelation of trying to understand better human consciousness and our potential. I know you right. in this process, you said with regard to this term law of attention, mm -hmm. you say that when we understand the law of attention, which mm -hmm. is what you're leaning towards right here, let me kind of segue into this piece because I want to dive right into this. You said that when we understand the law of attention, deeply understand it, it becomes the key to psychological and spiritual freedom. Hmm. In fact, when it comes to inner freedom, you even go so far as to say, you don't think there's anything else that we really need to understand. And that hmm. attention is the greatest source of power that we can possess. And this law of attention, I'd like you to explain it a little bit to us and maybe some of the four aspects that you use around this law. Yes, of course. Well, that's a, a very, a very good observation because the law of attention is indeed reveals to us that the greatest power in the universe, which is our attention. And this power of attention is uh, rarely used in constructive and conscious ways. Usually our, our attention is simply glued to certain objects, whether internal or external. So we are not aware of the process in which we actually choose to direct our attention to certain objects and by doing so, give them power and meaning. Yes. So we, we don't realize that without the power of our attention, objects of our attention are rendered meaningless and practically non-existent. So when we understand that this is the first law of attention, why is this so powerful? Because if you realize that there is a gap in which there can be choice Yes. Uh, what you are going to identify yourself with, then you have the power to stop giving certain destructive emotions and thoughts the power that they don't really deserve. So if you take away the power, they become non-existent. Really good. I love this idea. There's an opportunity for us to intervene. We may not always see it, but you're raising attention at one of the first laws is mind the gap. You're saying between mm -hmm. every thought, emotion, sensation, pattern, there's this gap that we may not realize that if we can realize, we can intervene somehow or at least be curious about it. Yes, exactly. And why have we lost this gap? You, you see what, what happens? We, we are now at a point where we feel actually completely powerless. This is yes. such, such an ironic condition because we are the source of power. <laughs> and now we feel hunted by certain monstrous thoughts and emotions and certain patterns that we feel overcome or possessed by, yes. you see? And why is this? This is because we have consistently given attention or given meaning to these thoughts and emotions. And at a certain point, a certain momentum has been generated. Yes. As a result, now these thoughts have seemingly have life of their own. Right. Now they can control us rather than we can control them. And this right. is the process that meditation and, and inquiry, meditative inquiry can reverse. I really like that. So you're talking about laws two and three, when we give power to our thoughts, not maybe recognizing that gap and whatever we choose to give our attention to, that's what becomes powerful and meaning. And what you're saying is eventually we become what we focus on, attention that's given to something long enough results in us becoming one with it. But you're also saying mm. if we can mind that gap, we also have what's the law number four, we have the freedom to relax our attention. 
Yes, yes, yes. That's that's beautifully put. Yes, indeed. First of all, the, there is the state of meditation. In the state of meditation, it's the time when you finally don't use this ability to choose anything or to become identified with anything. You simply leave your consciousness, your mind in an open state, unfocused. You see, I think we are really exhausting ourselves by focusing all day long on certain objects. Why would our mind, our consciousness, so obsessively be focused on certain objects, whereas we, we can actually open ourselves up and experience a certain blissful state where attention, we are simply conscious of ourselves, conscious of our own being. That is the freedom that we have to, to give ourselves from time to time. But of course, life isn't about being in a completely unfocused state. So for this, you need to be able to choose very carefully what you want to become. Therefore, you need to, to choose what you are going to give meaning to. Right. As soon as you give meaning to something consistently, this becomes a part of your self-identity, a part of who you are. Yes. And, that's, and that's a dramatic choice, how we've become our conditioned personality and this kind of this bundle of memories and conditioned reactions. Well, therein it sounds like lies the hope. You're saying maybe we don't recognize that we are thinking about things consciously or, well, we're thinking about things, period, all the time. And whether or not we recognize it, whether or not we recognize it, we may not recognize that there's a gap in there where we are actually giving and choosing unconsciously to give power to our thoughts. And the more we give power to those unknowingly, they become kind of our automatic thoughts that right. define us and that we live right. within. And you're saying if we can realize that there's a gap and we actually have the freedom to relax our attention, to not choose at all, through that meditative state, we now have choice to maybe start recreating some other more hopeful thoughts that can also define us in the same way that the old unconscious thoughts did. But these thoughts can be conscious and maybe, here's a hopeful piece I'm hearing you say, they can be truth-based. They can be moving us from what feels like, oh, I'm, I'm kind mm. of a victim to these, to I actually mm. have some control. And I know, Shai, that you've got a number of methods yes. to illuminate the different dimensions of human life to help guide and achieve this personal transformation away from those automatic unconscious thoughts that mm. might be negative and what we become to something that can be positive. And they, they include power psychology. They include your expansion model. You have a specific method around chakra psychology and chakra personality mm. types and the seven mm. heart powers. These are all your methods, I know, to illuminate, as I mentioned, the different dimensions of our human life. Can we touch on a few of those and just kind of walk our listeners through how in these meditative states we can use these methods to make one more conscious about things. Could we start with the power psychology, this, you're saying we possess this inner power <laughs> and this yes. unconscious longing of yes. the psyche to, to uproot our suffering. Talk about the power psychology, would you? Of course, gladly. Well, power psychology has at its center the principle or the, the insight that what the driving force of our psyche, what uh, develops our personality is will. Yes. Therefore, all of our uh, negative experiences in life, our traumas, our, our fears, our negative emotions are actually forms of frustrated will, which means that at, at our very base, we want to expand, we want to, 
to become more of ourselves, but sometimes life thwarts our desire to expand. And then we develop these negative emotions. So what parapsychology does is two things. One, it reverses that process and it reveals to us in, in a state of perfect sincerity that, that at the basis of our negative emotions, there is actually positive will. So it, it brings us back to our will, to our healthy will. And second, it helps us to reveal a state of true inner power. True inner power means that, that you actually no longer depend on the world, on life's ups and downs, to be able to experience an indestructible power. So yes. that is parapsychology. I really like this idea. You're saying there's within us, maybe we don't always know, but there's this positive will, this wanting to become mm. more of our real self. That's the part that's the, the, the willful being. And you're saying this type of power, in ways that we may not realize it, actually can be liberating. And it's what mm -hmm. fulfillment and contentment can be centered in. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. It is, it is liberating. It can be also, of course, a, a great source of suffering if you don't understand how to use it correctly, how to transform it, how to control it. Because the will to become or the, the wish to become more of yourself can become an obsession dependency, or it can become a first true inner power, and second, a healthy will that, that knows how to work harmoniously with life rather than, well, fight with it. <laughs> really good. I think what you're saying here is that this is where the, the, the guidance that you provide people with, it almost sounds like maybe this is a time to introduce maybe the expansion model. And this came from mm. your research and you're seeking a way to reveal to the participants that work with you to enable them to appreciate the power of one's own consciousness. Explain the expansion model to us. The, the expansion is, is probably the centerpiece of my work. And it's all about, it's a systematic approach to meditation that enables even beginners to access rapidly in a matter of, of several minutes, a state of heightened consciousness. Mm -hmm. So this means that, that people are able to experience what usually advanced meditators can experience, mm -hmm. uh, states of limitlessness, states of cosmic expansion, and so on and so on. Now, the thing is, in this state of expansion or expanded consciousness, my interest is then to lead people to influence from these states their life. You see, mm -hmm. so for instance, we have expansion for trauma. And this is actually one of the most fascinating techniques that I have because in a session or two, people are able to finally return, revisit their most traumatic memories mm. and, to, and to pour into them a healing type of, of presence, exactly the same presence that, that was absent when they experienced the traumatic events. So, so finally, they are able to be released from this sense of smallness that entrapped them in this memory. And now they realize the therapeutic value of heightened consciousness. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Nearly nine in 10 registered voters believe the nation faces a mental health crisis, according to a new USA Today Suffolk University poll. Americans are more concerned than ever about their mental health. Mental Health First Aid provides the resources and training 
to identify, understand, and respond to signs of mental health and substance use challenges. It provides the confidence and skills needed to offer life-saving assistance, and it provides peace of mind. Our experts provide mental health first aid training for adults, teens, caregivers, veterans, law enforcement, EMS, and school faculty. Mental health concerns are on the rise, but evidence-based training through mental health first aid can make a difference. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org to find a course near you or email hello at mentalhealthfirstaid.org to schedule a training. Courses are available for individuals, groups, organizations, and companies of all sizes. Visit mentalhealthfirstaid.org and make a difference in your community. Well, that's really well said. How hopeful that message really is. You're saying we can use this meditative state not just to get high with meditation or to stay in a meditative mm. state. Instead, you're saying that the state of illumination, that it's through that, that we can best appreciate our areas, let's say a blockage or difficult memories, old dysfunctional patterns, or just plain old confusion. And, and you're encouraging in this expansion model, mm. leaning into these emotions that we typically suppress or avoid, or maybe we're not aware of until they become conscious to us. And it's from this place of clarity and insight that you're saying that we can then begin a certain action to move us through that. Yes, exactly. That's, that's so beautifully said. Yes. Because you see, traditionally, mystical states of consciousness, broader states of consciousness have been used only for one purpose. That was self-realization, yes. self-knowledge in its pure state. But now I, I feel that this is the breakthrough that, that we've sought. And I think that this is, uh, by the way, the source of, of fascination with psychedelics nowadays. Now that we've been discovering the therapeutic value of psychedelics, but we haven't answered why psychedelic substances lead us to, to this kind of healing, the ability to heal ourselves. And my answer is that psychedelics lead us to heightened states of consciousness. Yes. But we can also achieve these states naturally and actually realize them in a non-dependent state. Yes. You see, in an independent state, free from dependency on external substances. Yeah, I really like that, Shai, this idea that we can go from our, what we oftentimes refer to from the research, our secondary conscious, down into our primary conscious. We can get there with psychedelics, yes, EMDR, but also with mm -hmm. this meditative state where we go down to a deeper level of awareness where all of these things are held that we may not even be conscious or aware of, but you're saying in that meditative state, that's where these things become more aware to us, and then we can work through them in this process. Yeah, I, I, I think therein lies the hope. It's not just I'm going mm -hmm. into meditative state or I'm, I'm using knowledge to identify them. I'm using wisdom to work through them mm -hmm. and maybe put a different ending on them. Shai, you also talk about uh, chakra psychology and chakra personality types. Say a little bit about both of those, would you? Of course. My major process of learning uh, has been initiation into, into a certain yogic tradition specializing in, in the subtle body, in the knowledge of the subtle body that includes kundalini and chakras. But early on, I, I discovered that the chakras are not only energy centers that serve us as a certain uh, ladder of development leading to, to super consciousness, but they also contain a, a map a map of emotional development, a map of, of psychological maturity, right. and even as a form of typology. 
because each of us actually has a certain chakras that are stronger than others. Yes. And the, the interplay of these certain chakras constitute uh, the core of our personality. So the, this has become a great adventure for me because I've developed a, a vast array of techniques and described this map of psychological maturity. Yeah. How we can develop each chakra from what I call the, the, the four states of, of functioning, the dysfunctional, the functional, the balanced, and the awakened. Now, okay. all, all these four states, they correspond to psychological levels of existence. Mm -hmm. I like this idea around the chakra personality types. Um, you're saying our chakras have a personal dimension with each of us having certain chakras that are more prominent or active and with certain energy centers that are vantage points from which we perceive the world and and fulfill our potential. In fact, you have a really mm -hmm. nice term, and I love this term. You term this our soul print. Right. Yes. That's a beautiful phrase. Tell me about the soul print. <laughs> well, soul print is the idea that before we were born, at the level of the soul, we, we were imprinted or received our manual for life by having certain chakras more emphasized for this lifetime. So now we are talking here about the major chakra type. The major chakra type is our strongest chakra, is the center of gravity of our personality, but also of our soul's journey for this lifetime. And this chakra is actually like the, the lens through which we perceive life and, and what guides us toward our meaning and purpose, which yes. means that, that governed or guided by this major chakra, we will be attracted to certain objects in the world and certain experiences in the world that comprise our true happiness and meaning. You see, and, and, yes, and, and for others, uh, this kind of happiness and meaning may not be as important. For yes. this reason, I'm, I'm saying that there is not one prescription for happiness, but seven prescriptions for happiness, because there are seven types of happiness and we need to, to individualize our understanding of happiness. As we individualize that and come to a great awareness of what our primary energy centers are, what is the mm. primary meditation method you use, Shai, to help folks come into a more transcendent state of consciousness for greater self-awareness and balance? What's the primary meditation method you use? Well, I use uh, two primary methods. One is the expansion method, okay. which means that the expansion method actually consists of 50 different versions, each one suitable or designed to achieve certain aims. For instance, a traumatic trauma healing, it can be uh, improved decision-making, but it can also lead simply to deep samadhi, the deep states of state of consciousness, uh, state of meditation. So that is the, the primary form of meditation. And this is uh, complemented by a, a, a different traditional meditation. This one is called the inner fire meditation. I don't know if mm. you've heard of it. It, is, uh -huh. it. it comes from the world of tantric Buddhism. And this is, I think, the ultimate meditation technique that actually huh. awakens. It's a full science of Kundalini awakening. So it, it knows exactly how to activate all our chakras by invoking our inner heat, 
the inner heat, this is why it is called inner fire, and raising it through our subtle central channel all the way to the crown chakra. This is also regarded as bliss meditation. You know, Tantra is all about bliss. And uh, you're actually experiencing how you're transforming your sexual energy, how you're transforming all your lower energies. You're alchemizing your lower energies and transforming them into refined energies. So this is, I think, a major technique that I use. Fantastic. <laughs> Shai, with the folks that you're working with that come to your seminars and your trainings or you work with individually, what are you seeing them benefiting from? And what are they walking away with from having worked with you and your approach? Well, I would say that they become far less dependent on the world to satisfy their emotional needs. I think this is the most important indication of emotional maturity. Because before that, we may be desperately longing for emotional confirmation, for recognition for outside a, a confirmation of our existence. So I think what people begin to experience, and these are the three basic transformations. One is unconditional stability, which means that you begin to experience within yourself that there is an unchanging core that doesn't expect the world to, to be a safe place because you finally have this kind of stability yes. within yourself. Yeah. And then unconditional joy you begin to feel that you don't need to seek all those uh, material pleasures because mm. there is some kind of bubbling life force, some kind of inner smile that keeps you uh, nourished from within. And then the third one is unconditional power, which mm. means that, that you no longer strive to become powerful in the world. Of course, you can manifest yourself, you can fulfill yourself, you can express yourself, but you don't helplessly depend on the fluctuations of your power status in the world because sometimes you know you you may become frustrated you may lose your power in the world but you still have this kind of of strength the mountain like strength that keeps you basically sane <laughs> yes i really like those really like those you know we're uh starting to wind down our our time for today but i want to mm ask if you would leave our listeners with an inviting word about their considering weaving meditation and the things you're describing today into their lives. Yes, of course. Well, if I may quote uh, the Buddha, the, the greatest meditation teacher uh, in history, I would say, and the Buddha sa said something fantastic. He said, there is no greater source of suffering or sorrow in the world than an uncultivated mind. Mm. there is no greater source of happiness in the world than a cultivated mind. <laughs> I think this is, that says it all. And, and if we begin to understand that, we, we understand that our mind can be the source of our suffering, but yeah. can also be the source of our happiness. Nothing else can endow us with this kind of happiness. Therefore, meditation is the way to cultivate our mind thus making it a source of happiness. I couldn't think of a better invitation than what you just said right there, Shai. Thanks for that. Shai, as we uh, begin to wind down, I would love to have our listeners learn more about you, your work, and your book, The Complete Book of Meditation. Give us some ways for our listeners to follow up with you. 
Of course, first of all, my official website, which is uh, shaitubali, S-H-A-I-T-U-B-A-L-I.com. And this website contains uh, numerous blog entries. It contains introduction to my work. It contains uh, explanations about upcoming events. And then there is a, a, my YouTube channel under my name, which contains countless guided meditations and explanations about how one can integrate the meditative perspective into their daily life. Really good. Yeah, you've got a wonderful website. I so enjoyed being on it with just a plethora of, of writings and resources, very, very explanatory, and just a beautiful site to peruse. So Shai, I've sure enjoyed having you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us the things that you're doing. Thank you for all your wise questions and insights. And thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Shine Me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding today's episode, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash BHT, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.